Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's episode, I'm going to explore the history of the Dulcinea House in Marshall, Michigan. This is a very interesting story about a woman who had a vision to help elderly women based on her own life's experiences and set her vision in her own estate that ultimately changed the laws of the state of Michigan and the future of elderly care homes at that time in history. So follow along with me on this interesting story. I've come across two different spellings of her first name. The one I'm going to use is the one that I found written in the text that I've been reading, and that is spelled D-U-L-C-E-N-I-A, Dulcinea. I've also seen reference to it being spelled as Dulcina, as D-U-L-C-I-N-A. Perhaps local martial historians could steer us in the direction of what her actual pronunciation was. But according to some of the written references that I found on this, it was spelt as Dulcinea. So that's the one I'm going to use in this episode. I'm actually going to refer to two different references in this episode. One is A History of Calhoun County, which is written by Washington Gardner. It's a book I've referred to a lot. And there's another book called A History of Marshall, written by Richard Carver. And both of them have bits of information on the Dulcinea House. To begin to understand the story, let's start with Robert and Elizabeth Eunice Church. On the 25th day of May, 1820, they had a daughter, and her name was Dulcinea. So she was Dulcinea Church. And she was born in Rushville Township, Monroe County. In 1836, her family moved to Marengo Township in Calhoun County, just outside of Marshall. They worked on establishing a farm in the wilderness in Marengo Township, just outside of Marshall. In 1840, Miss Delcinia Church married Hiram Daly. And tragically, Hiram passed away three years into her marriage, leaving her as a widow with a young son. So she soon had to face the hardships of living in the world, trying to support her young son during this time period. And she worked hard on trying to properly educate him to make it possible for him to provide for his own future. He was sent to Albion Public Schools and also the Albion Seminary, which is now the Albion College. Before he graduated from the seminary, the Civil War broke out and he answered the country's call by enlisting. And he enlisted in the 3rd Michigan Volunteer Infantry. Sadly, he died of disease at City Point, Virginia, following the Peninsular Campaign. And he was one of the early young men from the beginning of the war to die from Calhoun County in the Civil War. So Dulcinea was not only now a widow, but she was also childless. So she began to work in one of the departments in Washington, D.C., where she worked there for 14 years. During that time, during the war years as well as afterwards, she assisted in the relieving of the suffering of the freedmen who flocked to Washington in large numbers and helping them find homes in the North. During the 14 years of her industry, during a difficult economy, she managed to save some money over that time. And as a result, in the latter years of her life, she traveled broadly in the U.S. as well as in Europe, taking in the world. 
And so in her travels, she saw a lot of the social conditions in the various countries. And as a result, she became a little bit more world-wise than perhaps some of the people back at home because she was becoming a well-traveled woman. She later moved to Grand Rapids and lived with her sister, and she passed away in September of 1894. Now, her life was full of struggle and single-handedness in the struggling to survive and create any kind of achievement in life for herself and her young son when he was young and still alive. And part of her will, she wanted to impart something to women who experienced the same struggle in their lives. So from her own experiences, as well as her travels, she felt a kinship with women that were experiencing similar struggles as her own, especially those in advancing years. And so in the final years of her life, she began to draft a will that would create some kind of a legacy for her that she could help women with her estate after she passed away. So in 1883, a year before she died, she wrote into her will that she wanted to establish an aged home for women using the money from her estate, and she set some terms on how this was to be done. She wanted to provide the bulk of her estate to establish this home for women, and she set it up where there would be two trustees, and that the trustees would establish a corporation and it would be known as the Dulcinea Home for Aging and Indigent Females for the purpose of building and maintaining the home for the aged and indigent women residents all over Michigan. So the, they had to be residents of Michigan, and they had to be over 60 years of age in order to be eligible to stay in this home. So the home would be eventually built in Marengo Township, so it was adjacent to the Territorial Road and on the west end of Marshall. Now, in the stipulations of the will, if the people of Marshall failed to create the organization that she established and detailed in her will and were not capable of carrying out the conditions established by her within five years after her passing, then the trustees would have to pay the money to the Home for Aged Women in Providence, Rhode Island which was already an established home for women there. So she wanted to make sure that this happened one way or the other. So if Marshall didn't follow through and build the home from her estate, then she wanted the money gifted to this home in Providence, Rhode Island. So with this establishment of the trustees after her passing and the execution of her will, Steps were taken by the citizens of Marshall to form the proposed organization because they felt that this was something very needed for the community, and they established the required corporation that would be needed to organize the activity. Now, some interesting things happened when they began to do this. When they went to the state to establish a corporation, as she had defined in her will, they discovered that there was no law in place that would allow them to do this to establish the corporation as she had wanted it. So they had to take the steps to propose a bill in the state legislature that would cover the details that she defined in her will. And the bill was entitled, An Act Authorizing the Incorporation of Homes for Aged, Infirm, and Indigent Men and Women. And so this bill was passed by the state legislature and approved by the governor on March 23, 1897. 
And that bill was still in force as of time of the writing of the history of Calhoun County, which was published in 1913. So once this act was passed by the state legislature, the Dulcinea Home for Aged and Indigent Females was incorporated on July 18, 1898. And the board of trustees that was established to oversee the corporation were nine men selected from the Marshall community. So after working with the executor of the estate, the initial sum that was there that set aside was about $26,791. And then there was some additional funds that were turned over by the circuit court to the board of trustees, which raised that figure to just around $31,677. And when the corporation began to establish the home, there was a gift also from the estate from land that she had owned of roughly eight acres where the home was eventually built. At one point, she had even suggested in the will that the 160-acre farm that the family owned could be used for the property. But ultimately, it was built on the eight-acre parcel. The house was built between 1899 through 1901, and it was ready for occupancy in September of 1901. And the trustees of the whole project with the corporation were able to secure the services of a Miss Sarah D. Parsons to be the first matron of the home. And she established the whole format of the house itself and the regimen for the women that would stay there and actually ended up making it into a great success. And the first guest at the home was a woman by the name of Mrs. Isabella Parker Hart. And then following the initial opening, 32 additional women were relocated to the home. And some had died over the years and a few had withdrawn their applications. Leaving at the time of 1913, when this was written, there was roughly 17 women there. And the average age of the women living there during that time was 85 and a half years old. And over the years, as budget shortfalls came up for running the home, they got a lot of donations from the community because they saw that this was a great success. So a lot of the families of women that had stayed there or had passed away while staying there donated to the continuation of the home. And they were able to make improvements and maintain the property through additional donations from from the estates of other people. And Washington Gardner in the article goes through a lot of details into who donated from various places. One lady actually made a donation from Chicago to the home of $5,000. And the clergy from the area supported the home. They offered church services within the home. Even though the home itself was non-denominational, they still made religion available to the guests that wanted it. So they would hold Sunday services there. And doctors in the community would do would offer services to the home at low cost uh, to support the women that were living there. And in some cases, their services were provided for free. Now, the policies of the trustee setting up the estate and setting up the home required that it live within its means. And so the budgets were constantly kept in check and verified, and they had to do things to manage to make some sort of income to support itself. And it did successfully for a number of years. 
And the guests that stayed there were free to go and go about the community as they wished. The only restriction being that they had to leave the key to their room when they went into town so that the matron could have the room cleaned. And they also were required to inform the reception desk on where they were going and when they would be returning. And a lot of local women's organizations, including the Women's Relief Corps, would hold regular meetings there with not only the women that were residing in the center, but also other women in the community. So the home was used as a meeting place for a lot of the women's groups in town. And inside the home, each of the guests that were staying there had their own room. And it's interesting to note that the Washington Gardener describes that each one of them thought they had the best room because it was pretty well-designed home. They each had um, natural lighting and windows, and even in the hallways and the common rooms. One of the big common rooms that they had was a very large reading room. Remember, this is the early 1900s, so we're not talking about television or radio being available. And so they had large reading rooms with a library. They had the latest papers and magazines always delivered to the home. And in the evenings, the library and reading room was a, it was also serving as a gathering place. And a lot of books and readings were read aloud as part of the activities that were held there. So it was very much a community-spirited activity for the women staying at the home. And the family idea was encouraged, and they also held Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas celebrations at the Dulcinea home. And so the family members of guests would come and hold, have feasts there. And it was a common gathering that was held at this home every holiday season. So as the guests changed over time, the family guests would change as well. And they had gardens outside, and it was pretty well landscaped. And the home sat up on a little bit of a hill, and there were still a lot of shade trees on the property. It was a beautiful place in town in the style of the time period. And it was a two-story structure with a big veranda on the front. So it was very welcoming to even people coming from the community. And Washington Gardner closes out his little bio on the Dulcinea home by describing it as their happy hearts raise to God glad hymns of praise for the noble work that she had wrought referring to Dulcinea Daly, who had made the home possible. Now, in a history of Marshall written by Richard Carver on pages 248 to 249, he discusses the Dulcinea home. And Carver reports that the Dulcinea home, which was donated by Dulcinea Church Daily, was built between 1899 to 1901, as I mentioned before, and it was operated for a number of years by the Board of Trustees. In the later years, the home became operated by a woman by the name of Mrs. Mary Katz, and it opened up to elderly of both sexes, and it was changed into the Katz Nursing Home. This home eventually burned in 1962, and it was ultimately replaced by a more modern nursing home, which became known as the Tender Care as of 1993 in Marshall. And in A History of Marshall, Mr. Carver did provide several photos of the home and its various transitions over the years. Delcinia Church Daly is buried at Oak Ridge Cemetery in Marshall, Michigan, and she was 74 years old when she passed away. And she's buried on the same plot as her husband, Hiram Daly, was. So that's the story of the Delcinia home in Marshall, Michigan. It was kind of an interesting story. 
And it's not unlike some of these stories like the Haskell Home for Children that was built in Battle Creek and also the James White Home for the Elderly that was also established around the same time in Battle Creek. And when you look up the pictures of this building, it was really beautiful. And it's a very interesting story in itself because she established this dream, this vision for the home for the elderly women. And ultimately, her vision ended up changing state law and it had to, a bill had to be passed in the state legislature to accomplish it, which that's a big part of history in the state of Michigan. And it affected, I'm sure, other homes that were established later on. So that's going to do it for today's episode, exploring the Dulcinea home in Marshall, Michigan, and the history of that building. If you liked today's episode, please take a minute to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can reach out to me through michaeldelaware.com and send me a message through there. And if you want to support my podcasts or any of the work that I do for my YouTube channel, there's ways that you can donate on that website as well. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore yet another interesting tale of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.